Welcome to the Highly Sensitive Parenthood Podcast. I'm Amy Laginus, your podcast host and guide to not only surviving, but thriving as a highly sensitive parent. Together, we'll dive into common challenges of highly sensitive parents, hear from other HSPs and empaths about their experiences in parenthood, and learn to honor and celebrate our sensitivity, not only as parents, but as humans. Welcome. Okay, welcome everybody. I'm Amy Laginus of HighlySensitiveParenthood.com, a online resource center for highly sensitive parents and highly sensitive children. Um, so I'm here today with my guest, Nellie Hardin, and we're going to just talk about raising kids who are kind of in the second half of childhood, so like middle school and above, how to support them because uh, so much of the, the conversation is related to young uh, parenting, right? Parenting children, babies, toddlers, preschoolers, and there's so much research and support that's available out there on that. But I think sometimes we forget, um, especially in the highly sensitive community, I know I sometimes forget to focus on this really important um, formative time for parenting and for, for the kids themselves. And so I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. Welcome, Nellie. I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and your work. Oh, thank you so much for having me. First of all, uh, it's an honor to be on here and have uh, be able to talk with you and your audience. Um, so hello, everyone. My name is Nellie Harden. And yeah, I think part of what you're saying, and it's so valid, is there are so many resources for, you know, the first half of childhood parenting, but second half of childhood parenting, it's really easy for us as adults to just say, they're just miniature adults, right? So we don't have to pour as many resources into them and all this research and development because they're just smaller versions of us, which could not be further from the truth. If you look at the brains of, you know, adolescents versus adults, it's almost, you know, two different species that we're talking <laughs> about right there as far as brain development. And so it's really important that we stick to our guns, stick to our parenting, be very intentional and really work through the sensitivities of our kids and also us. And so I love the idea that you have here and talking about highly uh, sensitive parenting and kids, because I personally would probably fall into both of those categories. And I have four daughters of my own who are now 18, 15, 15, and 13. So I am right here in the mess <laughs> of, you know, teen and 20 queendom uh, as, as a parent, but also myself, when I left home, I left home at 17 to go off to college. I was, I was definitely younger on the younger side, but I really was not ready to leave home. I would not have told you that could not have even known that before, but understanding and looking back, especially with my training and teaching and, and things later on, right. That hindsight is so much more clear. Um, but looking back, I really was not equipped with especially my worth, my esteem and my confidence. And so when we are are releasing people out or these young adults out into the world, we're releasing them without these foundations instead of launching them with them. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we are in turn creating these highly sensitive adults because mm -hmm. we aren't equipped with 
our worth, right? And if you're not equipped with it, then you're searching for it everywhere, which is a recipe for disaster over and over and over again. And so that's what happened to me. I was really searching for and chasing, if you will, worth down relationships, down accolades, down academics, down any corridor. And then I was defining my worth by an outside source instead of within. Mm -hmm. And that led to so much disappointment, so much hurt decades of healing. And it made me a very sensitive adult because of that. And then I turned around and I went through, I, we were talking a little bit beforehand, but I went through three years of infertility, which comes with its own brief, not even briefcase. I would say, you know, mega suitcase of sensitivities. And then we had four kids in four years, which all happened to be females. (laughs) And so now I am, you know, I'm a sensitive parent that's gone through so much. And now I am also raising four young women. And so there's just this decision that had to come over me at some point going, okay, Mm -hmm. so now I want to raise them with this foundation. So they are self-disciplined leaders of their own own lives before they leave home and they're equipped for the world. And that's just kind of a, you know, a smidgen of the story of what got me here, but it really kind of highlights what you're talking about in your uh, show and with your audience about highly sensitive parents and highly sensitive kids. And I will say all four of my kids, even though the middle two are twins, very, very different young women. I call them four corners of a square because they all have their own sets of, you know, strengths and insecurities and sensitivities. And so it's just, it's a pleasure and such a learning experience raising all of them pretty much, you know, at the same time, I had them all within four years. And so we've gone through so much together, including seven years of homeschooling. So we were, you know, right there all with each other. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Oh, you bring so much wisdom to this conversation. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, when we talk about sensitivity and, and and how that can be, there's a counterpoint to that. I think in, in sort of the popular opinion of the counterpoint to sensitivity is sort of like this, like strength and resilience. And I think, Mm. I think that there's ways to redefine sensitivity as a strength, but I hear what you're saying too, around when, when there's not enough confidence built, when there's not enough resilience built, um, that can lead to some additional challenges, especially as kids are right. launching into adulthood or even, you know, as teenagers. And so, you know, one of the, one of the things, um, that comes up for me in my work and actually that I have a whole, I have a whole module on this in um, my course, uh, supporting your highly sensitive child is how to balance the support part with the building resilience, especially right. for, you know, because we, with our highly sensitive kids, I have a, my, my older son is highly sensitive. My little guy, (laughs) not really (laughs) very different, um, very different kids, as you were describing, just teaching you totally different things. But, um, but you know, I want him to be able to honor his, his, the strengths part of his sensitivity, right? Like the empathy, the, the awareness, the deep feeling, there's some really wonderful parts of that. And there's parts of it that just make life harder that, um, can lead to some more difficulty with mental health or or emotional health. And so the, so the building resilience piece is really important. And maybe that's something we can focus on in our conversation today is how do we, how do we do that? Um, and, and, and how do we balance out loving and, and supporting and seeing that the sensitivity as a gift while saying, 
okay, and how can we build strength, self-confidence, boundary setting? How can we teach our kids, you know, to, to sometimes set aside their emotions, which, you know, sometimes we need to honor our emotions and sometimes we need to say, whoa, whoa, whoa this is taking over and, and I need to take a breath. I need to find some support in other ways. I need to let it just, you know, like water off a duck's back and just move on from it. And it's something that I, I literally was dealing with it last night with my kids. So it's like very much friend of mind. And I can see that perhaps coming up even more in the teen years. 100%. And I think it's something, especially for, you know, all of your listeners and for all of us in general, we need to not redefine, but strip away some of the additional definitions that have come up Mm -hmm. for some of these words, like, like success, right? So many people think, oh, success means corner office and a Lamborghini, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not what success actually means, right? Mm -hmm. A success means just fulfilling what it is, uh, your purpose, what it is you desire, right? And then resilience comes in there too. A lot of people, when they hear the word resilience can think, rock hard, right? I I'm stern. I can do it or self-confidence. They think mm-hmm. that they just walk in a room and they're like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Right. right. Like arrogant. And, almost. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and self-confidence just means you believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when we're talking in the 6570 uh, family project here, which um, is our, is our work that we do, it's worth, right. And then esteem and esteem is just value and appreciation of yourself. So like you're saying with your two boys, right. Really valuing and appreciating their gifts and that sensitivity can 100% be such a gift that they are bringing to the table. They just need to learn how to drive it, right. How to drive this sensitivity. And then on top of that, so it's, it's worth and then esteem and then confidence is the belief in yourself that you can, you know, Mm -hmm. see a challenge, come up with a solution and get to the other side of it. And you might fail. And that's a good thing because every success ever is paved with failure on the way there. Mm -hmm. So success is completely invalidated. It's completely impossible Mm -hmm. without failure. And so just helping them understand that, especially our really sensitive guys uh, and girls, right. Helping Mm -hmm. them understand that failure is the way to success. And it's not the other, you know, it's, it's not the other way around, or Mm -hmm. you can't uh, have success without it. So anyway, just, uh, you know, some things to keep in mind as we're having this conversation today, which I'm sure they already know, but just from my perspective, (laughs) It's a great reminder though, right? Like, and and it's such a simple message, but so powerful. And I don't think, at least in, in, in our generation, I I don't remember hearing that a whole lot Yeah, uh, from, from teachers, from family members that uh, not only is it like, it's okay if you fail or if you don't do great, but Hey, it's part of the journey. And this this is something we can expect and something that we can, um, if not celebrate, then at least sort of see the silver lining and just see it as part of the process. And there is so much self-compassion and self-respect that I think can Mm -hmm. be built when you allow yourself to fail or allow yourself to quote, make mistakes. And, you know, one thing I say to my clients a lot is um, when they are regretting something, when they, why did I do that? Why I, 
And often, sometimes we genuinely make mistakes, but often we are doing the best with the information we have at that moment. And I think that's yes. so true, of, especially of teenagers, right? You talked about, you said your background's in biology and you're talking about cognitive development. And, you know, we're talking about these, these humans whose brains are not fully developed yet. And so I think it's, it's such an important reminder for parents that often our teenagers, our, our kids are doing the best with what, with information that they have or the information that their brain is giving them. It, right. That's different information than our adult brains are getting, even if we are perceiving the same information or the same inputs. And so just developmentally, I think something important to understand and, to, and perhaps even to communicate with your child that you're doing the best with the information you have. If, if that's the case, then there's no need to get worked up. We're just learning and right. we're moving on and we're, we're redefining success based on um, what it means to us rather than what society is telling us it should mean. Absolutely. And I think especially in the second half of childhood parenting, I find so many parents are just fed up with, they're so frustrated because they don't get it right. They don't get mm -hmm. their kids. They're like, they're just making, you know, quote unquote, stupid choices. They're being inconsiderate, you know, they're putting up walls, they're being isolated, right. All of these things, mm -hmm. but those are just manifestations of what's actually internally happening. And mm -hmm. I really truly believe that if more parents understood the brain development that's happening there. And all of my work is done right at the cross section of biology, psychology, faith, and culture. Mm -hmm. And I believe that if more parents understood that biology, just that biology piece of hold the phone, their frontal lobes where, you know, you and I as adults over 25, right? 24, 25, mm -hmm. we can actually think of more risk factors. We can think if this, then that, right? Mm -hmm. So much better than they can. And so they're relying on their amygdala, which is at the back of their brain, which is their fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why you can be totally peaceful sitting at the dining room table one moment, and then, you know, pizza might be flying the next moment or yeah. some irrational thing <laughs> comes out of their mouth because they are just, they go to that fight or flight uh, mm -hmm. mode because their frontal lobe is not fully online yet. And mm -hmm. so that gives us great grace and understanding and being like, listen. So what that also tells us as parents is we have an opportunity to really teach them and guide them and give them a system of thinking in order to bridge that gap because society and, and culture and school systems have set it up so that our kids are making and are forced to make adult decisions, adult yeah. studying, adult, all of this, right? even if they are 13, 14, 15 years old, but mm -hmm. in reality, their brains are not set up for that yet. So we, as the adult generation, and especially as their parents, it's then our responsibility to be like, you know what, this is actually really hard on your brain right now. And I totally get it. So let's come up with a system for you in mm -hmm. order to think and use these things, uh, your frontal lobe, um, you know, perks, if you will, even yeah. though it's not fully developed yet. And mm -hmm. that is such a beautiful thing to see click and register and then them use. And then, oh my goodness, you see lights come on everywhere. And it's yeah. such a beautiful thing. I'm really curious to hear more about like what that what that process looks like because I'm thinking about corollaries with my nine-year-old so he's not quite in that 
tween, but he's approaching it and he's pretty, yeah, he's, he's emotionally mature for him. Yeah. He's right there. Happened. Yeah. Um, but he sometimes, you know, when I've asked him like, Oh, what happened? He's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I did that in the moment, but he has such good, or his, his emotions just fly off the handle, you know, like crying or just, you know, overwhelmed by something. And then, you know, once he gets calm, he's so in, intuitive. He's so in touch with how he was feeling or like, mm-hmm. um, just so, uh, in my adult speak reasonable, like he gets it. He has such right. clarity and such, um, <laughs> ability to understand and, uh, just emotional, um, fluency really. And so one of the things that I do with him is I kind of unpack the situation afterwards. Mm-hmm. I said, like, where does it, and this is me being like a, you know, putting my therapist hat on. Cause I, <laughs> I'm also a licensed psychotherapist, um, at a private practice in California, but, um, but I'll often sort of debrief with him and say, well, like, what, what were you thinking? And then we'll kind of go through and see if were there thinking errors, were there things that were kind of going wrong there? And well, what kind of things, coping skills could you have used? Would it, would it have felt nice to maybe go to a quiet space? Would it have helped you to go outside? Would it have helped you to take a pause? Um, did mm-hmm. you need a hug? And so kind of like going debriefing after the fact, I, that's, that's how one of the, the ways, the, the ways that I I guess, try to hack the system that you're, you're describing and trying to get him a little bit more aware, but I'm curious if that is part of what the work that you do, if there's other approaches in addition to that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely breaking it down. I think it's so it's, it's imperative for them to learn how to do that too and unpack Mm -hmm. a situation. What we do and the system, I call it the, uh, the HALT system, but to just stop and just think for a second, because so many times they can feel like they are on fast forward. Right. And here's the thing. One of the best things that you can do in general in life is use an existing system and then enhance it in the way that you need. Right. Mm -hmm. The existing system that's already happening in their brain and your brain is that you have a thought come into your head and then you develop feelings about it. And then you make a decision about it. And then you have an action, right? Mm-hmm. And then once the results come, you've lost full control, right? <laughs> you yeah. don't, you don't have a uh, control over it once the results right. are there. So if we use that to our advantage and we help them figure out the system of thinking, we can then say, okay, let's put some, put some pause points in there because this is already happening. You already got the system down because it's how you make decisions, right? Sure. Yeah. Thought comes into your head. You're then you have feelings about it, then decisions, then actions. And so when so many thoughts come into our heads and, you know, we've, we've heard about intrusive thoughts, you know, yeah. those type of things all the time. Right. And so many of those are just crazy, crazy thoughts. Does that mean that we're going to act on all of those thoughts? No, right? How, <laughs> Thank goodness. How do, I certainly hope not. I have seen some kids that are, I swear, act on every one. And yeah. I'm like, we need to sit down and talk. So, um, <laughs> but so how can we then develop a way? So the first thing I talk about is outside accountability. So mm-hmm. there's so there's three steps here. So outside accountability is going to be somebody, it could be real, it could be fictional, it could be a relative, it could be God, it could be Jesus, it could be um, Superwoman or mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, not Superwoman, yeah. I guess there's <laughs> Superwoman too. But, yeah. uh, you know, it could be Superman, whatever that is. But somebody that has a moral 
and a code and a compass that you're like, you know what, that's cool. So I've worked with kids as early as I think probably six years old was my youngest one that I did this with. Right. And theirs was wonder woman. That's why I don't, and I love, wonder Woman too. so, you know, there's that, but anyway, so, but it was, uh, so you have this outside accountability that when a thought comes into your head, you're like, mm, I'm going to check that against my outside accountability. Now, why do you do outside accountability first? Because you're totally biased as a person if you did your personal inner accountability first. You know, when I went through and I um, tested a slew of kids and asked them, okay, from the time that you first think about something to when you do something, what are some things that you think about? The number one answer um, that I got was, will it be fun? right? So that's why we don't use our in inner accountability or ourselves as this wow. first pit stop, because we're going to get, is it fun? Is it funny? Will people like me more? All of those are so very subjective, right? So yeah. outside accountability is a great first step to be like, mm, should I, I'm going to, I'm going to check this with my outside accountability first, right. whatever. And whoever that is. Yeah. And then, um, the second one, when it goes in between, okay, so I had a thought now I'm starting to invest some feelings in here because you and I both know that putting feelings into something is an investment. There's a lot of energy that then goes toward there. And so some of those things that my outside ability or outside accountability checked Mm -hmm. off, I don't need to invest my, my feelings into that because that's already it, it landed and it just kept, kept going right. Our heads are like a busy airport. And so the second one that I really talk about is the inner accountability then, and that's your value system. And I talk about how, you know, really setting up a values fence around yourself of, of three, possibly four, but really try to keep it to three because our brains work best with three, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and our short-term memory. And so what are three things that you can sit inside this fence? And if whatever this thing is, that's trying to come in and, and take up your energy with feelings and things, if it doesn't pass through the barrier of all three of those, uh, fence pieces, you're out of here. Right. Mm -hmm. And so For example, mine is faith, integrity, and wisdom. So Mm -hmm. if something is trying to creep into my head and heart and I'm like, hold the phone. And sometimes I've even had to write it down when I have too many weighted things in my head. Right. And I, I literally just draw a triangle, faith, integrity, wisdom is Mm -hmm. what this is in line with those three things. And if it's not, you're out of here, right? You're out of here. And so, and then we just, I I love to talk a lot about identity. Um, And so that third checkpoint is just an identity checkpoint that we really get into a lot and take the lead, um, which is the, the program I have. But anyway, it is, is this really who I am trying to become? Is this who I am on my way to becoming if I do this? So we have this conversation a lot. You would imagine four teenage girls in my house. There's some sly comments that get passed around sometimes, right? And so, you know, if one of them says something or there's some sarcasm or things that that's hurtful to somebody, just really asking them. So is that really a, um, a step in the direction of who you're trying to become? Like, no, right. (laughs) And you get this and, you know, and it it is true. And it's just helping them understand because their brains don't work that systematically yet. They're on their way to that. But if Mm -hmm. we can give them this 
inside, or I'm sorry, outside accountability, inside accountability, identity checkpoint in the naturally flowing system that's already happening from thought to action then, and it can happen in one second. You know, that's why you just really narrow it down, right? Well, who's yeah. that one person who, what are your three values? And is this who I'm trying to become? Mm-hmm. And if they can stop and pause and halt and think about that right before they do something, then, oh my goodness, it's so much better. And I've had, I've had so much success with this, with our kids and honestly with adults too, that haven't learned yet how to harness and go from thought to action in a productive way. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. It's such a great point. And especially that, that there's adults who, who really haven't been taught this or who haven't learned it for themselves that that our thoughts and how and how we feel and behave as a result of those are not um in charge of us that they're that mm-hmm. we are driving or at least we have the capability increasingly yes. as our brains develop to to be in the driver's seat if not in complete control then you know to, to be gaining increasing amounts of control over our thoughts emotions and behaviors and uh, you know, what you're describing is, um, has a lot of similarities to the cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, model CBT, if you're familiar with that, or if listeners are, um, of just kind of working with thoughts, uh, seeing the triangle of thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, and trying to kind of catch it before a thought, for example, I, um, let's say I didn't do well on this, or didn't feel like I did well on this test. And then the thought is, oh my gosh, I didn't do well on this test. The feeling is I'm a failure or that's another secondary thought. And then you feel shame and you feel embarrassment. You, your behavior is avoiding your parents or lashing out at them. Whereas if the, you know, a teenager or school-aged kid learns, wait, is that, is that true? Is, is that real? Even using, you know, using the system you have, is that what somebody else would say to me? Is that what my, right. uh, you know, this, this outside source would say that, oh yeah, you're a failure. Um, or that you're not valuable anymore. And if it's not, well, let's, let's shift that because you don't need to feel this way. Yeah. And this can work backwards too. And so like what you're saying, so parents are witnessing the end result, right? And so many times it's really easy to say, oh, this is their end result. They said this, or they did this, this must be who they are. Right. And Mm -hmm. then they're, they're doing the, I am, or you are definitive on them. And that's an identity definitive. And so then hold on, hold on a second. Wait, you know, if they did this, then what did it mean that their decision was? What did it mean their feeling was? What was that original thought then? And this really is helpful because our our kids in second half of childhood, especially some in the first half for sure, but second half, especially, there's a lot of friend drama that's going to go down. I mean, I, you literally can't avoid it. It yeah. will happen. It doesn't matter if you have the most kind, generous, incredible kid ever, there's mm-hmm. going to be friend drama. Yeah. And so when someone, when your child comes home and someone was quote unquote mean to them or rude to them in some way, helping them understand, okay, well, what did they say or what did they do? Why do you think they did that? Right. Mm -hmm. So many times it comes back to their worth, that other person's worth that isn't being met or validated at that point. And Mm -hmm. so they're lashing out and they're saying rude comments. They're being super defensive. They're being super offensive, whatever that is, because Mm -hmm. their worth isn't being validated. And if you can do that with your kids, then you are developing this grace and empathy and understanding in them to help them go out and cultivate 
culture better when they are, you know, young adults and young men and women going off into the world to understand one another more and be able to have an actual courageous conversation that goes somewhere instead of just, this is my side and this is what it is. And this is the truth and you are wrong. Right. Right. Oh, we, <laughs> we have so have much to get away from right now. And we, I know we, we have we, to we get away from nuance. that. We need more listening. It strikes me too that um, that this can even this is probably really important for parents to learn to do too, right? When you're when you're like baffled by your your teenager's behavior, what like why did they say that? Like, oh my gosh, yeah. am I just raising this <laughs> like a bad person? Or you know, I hear that sometimes from yeah, parents. yeah. Um, and, and the parents kind of fly off the handle in that situation. They take this one situation, this one example, and they generalize and, you know, they need to be kind of reminded I've done that before. And so your kid is a really good kid. Like they're sweet. They're they're wise. They are are, uh, knowledgeable. Um, but sometimes we, we lose sight of that as parents too. And, and perhaps there's, there's an invitation for parents, you know, when their kid comes in or the teenager comes in and starts yelling at them or gives them attitude to do that same pause that we're trying to teach our own children and say, where is this? Is yes. this really about me? Or is this, are they stressed at school? What, what do they actually need? Right. right now? Do they need, do they need some downtime? Do they need a, like just some quiet? Do they need a mental health day from school? Do they need me to tell them, Hey, I love you no matter what, or say like, I'm here for you. If you want to talk, like, what do they actually need? Because we, yes. they're not going to often, some teenagers might, but I would say more often than not, they're not going to walk up and say, Hey mom, I had a really hard day. I need some alone time. And then I'd love for us to cuddle and uh, watch a movie together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great if they would say that, but, um, and, and to be honest, we, I think we can to some extent teach them at least in moments to say that by offering them, Hey, it seems like you've had a hard day. I'm here for you. If you need a little space that we can, we can almost give them that language. Um, yes tell us what, what they need, but it starts from pausing our own reaction to whatever behavior we're seeing and checking in, trying to see where it, what it is, they're com- where it is they're coming from and responding to that rather than, rather than responding to the behavior itself. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we really go through is the steps to a courageous conversation. The first step is calm. Like both parties Mm -hmm. have to be calm. And I just experienced this with one of my daughters. Um, I don't know, a few days ago and Mm -hmm. we were down at the pool and things were just getting heated and she was not seeing things that she was doing, um, not paying attention to them. And anyway, I was like, listen, I am getting really upset right now and I do not want to say anything that I will regret or that is too harsh or not in line with how I'm actually what needs to be said and what you need to learn right now. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to just take a few minutes to calm down. Okay. And she was like, okay. Right. But then she went and sat in the, um, the patio chair for a minute. Then I went in the pool, she came in the pool and we, not three minutes later, it doesn't have to be an hour. It can be, but it can't, it just needs to be this pause. Like you're talking about so that both parties 
are calm because if you're not calm, here's the thing about the adult brain too, right? If we're not calm, we're also using that amygdala. (laughs) And then, and then you have, you know, uh, two people that are using their fight or flight responses and it gets real ugly real fast. And so that's why it's imperative that both of you are calm and really sitting, you know, eye eye to eye. Um, uh, I, I have knee to knee conversations with my kids, you know, we're Mm -hmm. both crisscross applesauce on the floor of the bed and we're just sitting there and, you know, our knees are touching knee to knee conversations. And, um, but anyway, it was just maybe three, four minutes later. And then we had a great talk poolside and then we moved on and we were fine and everything was happy. And, you know, we were reminded of our joy again, even Mm -hmm. though we didn't have happiness in the moment, we still had our joy. And so anyway, it's just, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's so imperative for that first step of any like big conversation or any friction to be calm for both parties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a lot of what we're talking about, um, you know, in terms of changing the thoughts and and really having this awareness and and doing these sort of like thought checking against the outside, you know, uh, authority, or I forget the word used for that. Um, Outer accountability. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, So much of that is, is a little bit of a higher level thinking, which, which kids and and adults are capable of only when we're calm. And so that's something that Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing you do a lot of in your work too. And I certainly do is, um, is helping people to understand how it feels to not be calm, how it feels to have their, to go into fight or flight. And that looks kind of different for different people. There's certainly some hallmarks of, you know, what that feels like, like, you know, fuzzy thinking, or, you know, I'm getting sweaty or my heart's beating fast, or I'm, you know, um, my, my face is getting hot or all these. So there's different, different, um, sort of tells for everybody, but building that awareness and then building, um, what I call in my work, like a coping skills toolkit. And, and sometimes for, for kids, it is a literal (laughs) like toolkit. It's a, it's like a, a little baggie with, um, you know, sensory items. So things like right. uh, an essential oil or a photo of something that makes them feel uh, it's ha- happy or funny or inspiring. And maybe it's a quote. Maybe it is a, like an, an affirmation or a reminder that they've written down to themselves. Um, so it's just something that gets you, um, gets that frontal lobe back online as best it can. Or I, I often use the the metaphor of like being underwater. Like when your eyes are underwater, it's hard to see clearly mm. and, and yeah. everything is kind of murky. And so if you're in that space emotionally, or, or you, you can teach your kid this too, if you're in that space where you know, like you just, you can't even start to think about how to change your mind about something or how to, how to right. see it differently. Your only job in that moment is to calm your body back down. It's to get your eyes mm-hmm. back above the waterline so you can see clearly again. And then, then we can start engaging some of these thinking and, and these sort of checks and balances that you're describing. Um, but it's surprising to me how many people don't uh, don't kind of understand that like first this, first calming, first calm the body. Right. Then, and, and I think this is a really important thing for parents to hear, but at least for my part, if what people take away one thing from today, that's, I want them to hear this is that, um, when your child is emotionally dysregulated and they're not themselves and they're, they're freaking out for whatever reason, and you're trying to change their mind about something. Yeah. 
it's not going to be very successful. This literally happened last night. I'm not trying to throw my husband under the bus here, but (laughs) it's a real thing that happened. My son is in soccer camp this week and he has a a soccer practice in the evening. So it is a lot of soccer, but he's had to miss a couple weeks for vacations. And he was so mad that he had to go to soccer practice. And we said, you know, we can talk to coach. Maybe you can just sit and watch. That's okay too, but you have to go and show up for your team. And he was distraught tears, angry. I can't believe daddy's making me do this. It's so unfair. He doesn't understand just like kind of lost control. And my husband was, you know, trying to convince him, well, sorry, you just have to, this is what we're going to do. And here's why. And this is, you're just going to do it. And we already talked about this and it was all logic, logic, logic. And I, I came in, I said, Hey, I'm not trying to undermine you, but he's his nervous. I literally said like his nervous system is like through the roof right now. He just needs to someone to help him calm down would you like me to step in and he was like yeah yeah okay go ahead um so it's not and they they compliment one another right like his logic is is also important but in the moment in that moment what was called for is simply calming down so I let him express how he felt to me I said hey how about you um I know you're feeling angry why don't you scream into the pillow or punch the pillow and see how that feels and he did it I gave him um, essential oil to just smell and said, hey, take some deep breaths. I'm going to go. Um, one thing that works well for my kids is like a funny video. So I'll like kind of bookmark <laughs> a few like, you know, silly animal videos yep. or whatever. I came back up and showed him a couple of those. He was giggling, laughing. Hard to stay in a in a super activated nervous system when you're laughing at something. So that's that's another yep. kind of tip there. Um, and then at the end, this was unprompted. He said, well, I don't feel angry like in my body anymore. I'm still not happy that I have to go, but I like I'm no, I'm not angry anymore. And so he was able to get there and figure it out. Now, I have not always been <laughs> I don't always respond that textbook. Um, but when we have the opportunity, when we have the awareness and the tools as parents, we can bring that to our kids and teach them. Um, I think it's similar to to the work that you're doing. We can, you know, build this yeah. foundation of awareness, self-awareness and confidence and um, kind of emotional literacy in a way uh, that really yeah. serves them throughout their whole lives. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about too is the, uh, a storm, right? So you think mm-hmm. about you're in the middle of a, a forest, right? And you're trying to build a house. You're trying to build this foundation with your child. But if a storm comes through, if a tornado comes through, you, what is your first instinct, right? You run, you hide, you find shelter and you hunker down and you just sit there. Right. And that's where we see a lot of the stubbornness when they are in this storm that's happening, they're just hunkered down and they are just sitting in that, in that, uh, still state, right. I am not moving. This is, you know, things are stormy out there. Things are scary out there. I'm just going to hunker down. So we need to clear, we need to calm the storm that is happening within them. So you can then build again. Right. And so that's what, I mean, that's what our parenting is. That's why I'm so grateful for the years that I did in the animal realm that I did before I got into the messier human, much more messy uh, (laughs) human realm. And, you know, you really saw the, you know, quote unquote, black and white of Mm -hmm. what is the purpose of parenting, right? Mm -hmm. We are raising 
another being into their life. That is what we are doing. And we as humans then get the, as parents, we get the immense, you know, responsibility and humble, you know, respectful uh, responsibility to do that and raise our kids into who they are trying or who they're going to become. Mm -hmm. And it's much more messy. It's much more long, you know, with, uh, humans and we need that time. Frankly, we need all 6,570 of those days plus, you know, plus or minus somewhere ever in there in order to do this because we're building life for them. Then we're building life with them and then they're building their life. And this really is a training zone that they're in, in the second half of childhood. And we need to calm those storms so we can build, we got a job to do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so let's, let's wrap up our conversation in the next couple minutes here. I I'm curious to just hear one more thing from you, which is some encouragement for parents or any, any sort of tips or encouragement for parents, because we've talked a lot about, which is so important, you know, kids development and teenagers and, and kind of how we can support them. But it, you know, and my work is mostly with parents actually. And, and, that's to me, that's foundational, right? If a parent is not well equipped, is not taking good care of themselves, then we have not a whole lot to give to our kids. At least that's my experience. I'm curious if you have any words of wisdom for parents of the second half of childhood kids. I would just say one of the things that, um, you know, we say two of the things that we say in our house really regularly are as far as us as parents, we say, mm-hmm. uh, well, you need to learn how to discipline yourself so others don't have to, right? That's mm-hmm. we're teaching them self-discipline leadership to be a leader of their own lives. Because it doesn't matter if they go off and they're a leader of a lot or a little or nothing, they have to be a leader of their own life. Mm. So in that capacity, they have to be a leader, right? And so we are teaching them discipline yourself so others don't have to, because if they don't, the world, you somebody else, a future spouse, whatever they will. And so it's really important that they learn how to discipline themselves. Mm. And, um, but then as a parent, we need to drop the rope because so, everything can feel like a tug of war, like, no, yeah. this way, no, this way, that no, this way. So drop the rope and pull up a chair, pull up mm-hmm. a chair and listen to what's really happening. Because if you're too busy in the tug of war, you're going to miss it. And mm-hmm. so drop the rope and pull up a chair is something that I certainly uh, try and live by as a parent. And then as for the kids, discipline yourself so others don't have to. And honestly, that also goes for parents. <laughs> yeah, oh, so true, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I have goosebumps thinking about that. Drop the rope and pull up a chair. That's so, what a powerful image. And I, I suspect, I can see for me, it would be helpful to even have that visual, you know, when I'm starting yeah. to feel that tension with one of my kids or it's just anyone in general, but especially with kids and with teenagers is, you know, when you feel upset by something that they're doing or they're saying is even just pausing for a moment and, and literally visualize yourself dropping the rope and pulling up a chair. I can see that sort of flipping something and kind of priming, priming the parent to, to, to remember, to listen, to remember, to do that perspective taking and empathy. And I, I, you know, I'll just say, I know I'm quite confident. You don't mean, Oh, just give into what, whatever it is, right. You're not like giving up. Yeah. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's not what it is at all. Right. You're not, you're not saying like, Oh, I relinquish my authority. Um, no, instead you are really, you're, you're teaching your child 
to, to have an adult, a, a more adult conversation, to be able right. to express themselves, to be able to, uh, to learn how to work towards a compromise, to be able to learn to hear you, uh, you know, the different perspective you might have. And so you're really doing a whole lot of skill building and helping your child mature in, in a way that just can't happen when you're engaging in that tug of war with them. So I think it's just a really yeah. powerful visual that you're offering here. So thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I would love for you to share, I know you shared a little bit, but um, as we wrap up here a little bit more about um, where people can find you and the, the types of um, services that you offer. Oh, absolutely. So I love to keep it simple. Everything mm -hmm. can be found on NellieHarden.com. I think the world's complicated enough. So just find <laughs> out one place for all the stuff. So you will find the communities there. We have a great community called the Family Architects Club. I love to, uh, mm -hmm. I refer to parents as architects because we're planning, designing and building the beginning of someone else's life, which is, you know, kind of a big mm -hmm. deal. And yeah. so um, we have, uh, yeah, we have our communities on there. We have resources on there. We have um, uh, master classes on there that are all available to you as well. So, um, yep. Yeah, and I do a lot of speakerships and things like that, but everything is available through NellieHarden.com. Perfect. And I will drop that in the notes, but in case you're listening, Nellie is spelled N-E-L-L-I-E. Harden is H-A-R-D-E-N. So NellieHarden.com. Um, and you can find me, Amy Lagenis, at HighlySensitiveParenthood.com. Similarly, pretty self-contained. I am on Instagram as well at highly <laughs> sensitive parenthood. Um, and if you are in California looking for a therapist, um, I specialize in working with highly sensitive, um, parents and just people in general. Um, you can find me at innernaturetherapy.com and all of that info will be in the notes below as well. Um, so I hope that, uh, I, I'm, just confident that you have gotten something. We had a lot of sort of nitty gritty tips and um, just good reminders, honestly, for me too, even though you know, we're both working in this field, just to kind of um, share what it is that we're noticing and share what's worked for us and share the recent challenges that have come up and how we've dealt with them is always just so, so fruitful um, for me. And I hope that all of our listeners have gotten a lot out of uh, just listening to us chat about parenting and parenthood and taking good care of ourselves, building resilience and self-compassion um, for ourselves and for our, our, our older kids. So thank you so much for joining us today, Nellie, for this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Highly Sensitive Parenthood Podcast. For more resources, including our blog, toolkit, and online course for highly sensitive parents, visit highlysensitiveparenthood.com.